0: Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today is Mavery Davis. Hi, Mavery, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Dr. Foster?
0: Just fantastic on this West Virginia morning. Great to have you on. You know, you've I've seen you um, working hard and working diligently in our community. So I just wanted to sit down and you know get to know more about you and just share your work with the audience. And you know, so um, let's start off by telling um, telling me about yourself. Who is uh, Mavery Davis?
1: Well, you know, Dr. Foster, this is actually a pretty hard question for me um uh, if i'm completely honest with the audience that's something i'm still trying to figure out you know like most of us i'm a work in progress um that said uh i'm a husband uh, a father i'm someone who cares about the community i'm energized by uh building people up uh by encouraging positivity uh especially uh reaching younger generations um to light their fire so to speak. You know, I've always been something of, of like a hype man <laughs> uh, for for as long as I can remember. You know, I can remember, you know, when I played football in high school, I wasn't always the best player, although I did get playing time. Um I wouldn't consider that I was the best player but one thing that i always had that i think coaches saw in me is that i was i always appeared to be it always was in my in my soul happy to see others do well um and and that's probably what led to get me on the field cuz you know i wasn't always the best i don't think i'm the best now but you know it, it's just something about seeing others do well that that sort of uh gives me energy
0: Okay, and that kind of reminds, there's a scripture that says um, stir up, that the people, I think it was Paul and, and Timothy, about stirring up the gifts. So everybody needs to have someone to stir up their gifts, right? So that's that sounds like what you were saying to me. So talk about your career trajectory. You're a CPA. Um, you've had a you know, number of different roles. So talk about your career trajectory and what hurdles you had to overcome, you know, um, so far in, in, in your life?
1: Okay, well, I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a, um, that's a, a, a pretty, uh, uh, involved question, so, you know, um, I'll say this, if, if so I don't, uh, forget any points, um, so I'll say, like, I, i never saw myself being an accountant, you know, like that, Uh, I don't even think accounting or accounting was in my vocabulary until I was a junior in college. Um, And then, you know, uh, some of the other trouble, I, you know, trouble and I'm going to go into this a little bit more. But some of the other trouble that I've had, um, you know, I I had a child before graduating college. i uh, I've always felt a sense of like not being accepted in the in the field that I'm in you know as an accountant uh family obligations have always posed a a, a huge a huge problem but so to rewind a little bit like i said i never i never saw myself as an accountant you know i was uh i came out to West Virginia on a football scholarship back in 2005, you know, so I always thought I was going to be a football player, <laughs> you know.
0: Where did where uh, did you I come was, from? Where did you come from?
1: Oh, I came uh I, that's a good thing. I came from uh, Los Angeles, California, uh born and raised in in South Central Los Angeles, uh you know, the part they show on the news <laughs> <laughs> all the time, but yeah, so you know, pretty pretty tough um upbringing and and uh you know dealing with all of the uh you know the massive uh gang violence and stuff in in the inner city of Los Angeles you know that was the main reason that I sort of you know after high school I I went to junior college still kind of chasing the dream of becoming a a professional uh football player um uh so my you know I I didn't get deep getting did get selected to a division one so somebody said well go to junior college and try it again uh so i did right so that was where i was introduced to the university of charleston they they came to one of our practices out in california i liked the brochure and so you know i i decided to go as far away from california as possible and that led me to charleston west virginia the only thing I knew about West Virginia at the time was Randy Moss. <laughs> you know I didn't know I didn't even you know i didn't I didn't really know where I was going or what I was doing. I just knew that I was getting far away from Los Angeles um, uh just just because of all the you know how hard it was to sort of live there um, and all the trouble you could easily get into. So I came out to West Virginia on the football scholarship. And you know things weren't exactly easy you know i I got here, I played a semester at u c and it was there and I promise you this is this is part of the story of becoming an accountant, right <laughs> so uh, so I get there, and you know I play a whole season, and then we go you know the whole team kind of goes to register for classes for the next semester. And all of us owe UC like thousands of dollars, like upwards of $20,000, you know. Uh-huh. So the coaches at the time, uh, nobody associated, and again, I want to be clear that it's nobody, nobody is there currently at UC that was there at the time that this happened. So like they, they, they took care of it. But um, at the time, you know, uh, there's about 50 of us from, uh, from junior colleges out in the California area, um, who were basically out here in West Virginia, just kind of stuck. Uh, we, we were told that we had full scholarships and that wasn't true. So, you know, so obviously I started, um, looking for somewhere else to go and, uh, you know, to finish school or whatever, that was my primary thing you know, especially since football wasn't exactly working out. Um and so I found West Virginia State University uh HBCU. I, I checked it out. It was a thought I had a great program. And so I enrolled in West Virginia State. It was also more cost effective. You know, I'm you know at the time I'm twenty something years old. I'm thousands of miles away from home. You know, I yeah. And, and I didn't, you know, people back at home didn't really have the resources to, to support me or to do anything. And they thought I was good because I came out here on the football scholarship. Uh-huh. Like, they're like, you know, um, and so I didn't, you know, I, I was I didn't know really have anybody to turn to. Or and even if I did, you know, I there was a sense of like, you know, I made this decision. Like, I've got to figure it out for myself. Right. Like, so, you know, maybe, you know, now what I know now I might've asked for help sooner, but I didn't. Right. So I, I tried to figure it out myself and I did. I, I landed at state and, you know, it, it was at state that I, I switched my major to marketing because now I'm starting to think like, well, what am I going to do uh, well, after this is you, over? Like,
0: what, what was your major when you were at UC that first semester. Oh,
1: I, I, you see I was a history major.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're gonna yeah, do. Yeah, actually
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have an associate degree in history from College of the Canyons, So oh, gotcha. you know, I was I was studying, you know, the, the US Civil War and um, and I studied uh what was that? Like all of the, the um political uh, the political atmosphere in like japan and how how their system was i don't remember a lot of that stuff now but at the time it was interesting okay <laughs> but, uh no i i just know it was very intricate they started they started them out very early and there's like all of these pathways that they did to to like learn the government there and stuff so I i thought that was cool but so I'm a history major, and so now I'm thinking like, how? What am I gonna do after college? Um, I can remember being, you know, one of my biggest inspirations in life is uh, one of my football coaches, Coach Dion Lambert, um, who uh, he was my history teacher in high school. So like I was just like, I'm gonna be like Coach Lamb, and I'm gonna be a history teacher. Uh, so you know, I was a history major um but then you know i started thinking like i don't know if i want to teach i don't know what i'm going to do with that degree so you know i started i i I enrolled in i switched my major to marketing because i was like i felt that was more natural to me i was like you know uh i get to deal with people uh maybe make some commercials or something you know i didn't know what marketing was either so i was just like let me try that so I, I, I wrote, you know, I switched my major to marketing and, you know, as I'm progressing through that, uh, obviously in business administration, you have to take an accounting class. So now you're, now I'm in an accounting class. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand it. I, you know, I, I didn't, I did, it was confusing to me. I had never heard of it before. Um, and, you know, so I worked hard, you know, I would study, uh, I would often read chapters two or three or four times just because it was so confusing. Um, and and that's just how I was, you know, and, and I passed the classes, I, you know, uh, apparently I passed them with really good grades, A's or B's. Um, and I still wasn't into accounting. Like I, like I was like, I don't, it, it didn't spark any interest in me. Um, and then there was this, this, this uh administrator uh Patricia Schaefer, may she rest in peace. Uh this Patricia Schaefer was the head of the accounting department at the time. She kept following me around uh with these newspapers and magazines, uh telling me like what CPAs are and, you know, that it's a good profession and you have a good job coming out of college and all of this stuff. And that stuff I was receptive to. I still kinda wasn't listening. I was just like, excuse me, lady, I don't like I don't even understand this stuff. Like I don't I don't know what it means. She's like, but you're getting good grades and no people don't get good grades in accounting. I said, I hear you, but I don't like I don't know what this is, <laughs> right? Um so I kept I kept going and and then eventually like while I was still in college, uh, not too long after that conversation, I had um I had a child, well, uh, uh, yeah, I had a child. He, he wasn't exactly born yet, but um, he was, uh, Amari was, my, my girlfriend at the time was pregnant. Um, and, and then those conversations that Ms. Schaefer was, was having with me started to resonate a little bit more, you know, cause now I got a kid that I'm trying to think about taking care of after college and um or even while i'm in college because you know i, I worked all while i was in school like i've always had jobs like i've worked everywhere i worked everywhere in charleston <laughs> but um but you know so so it was then those conversations about so then i switched my major to accounting um because i was like okay i want to have a good job I want to be able to uh support support this kid um and then uh I got really interested in accounting once I started learning about the time value of money and and, and finance and like saving, investing, things like that. And so I added a major. <laughs> I added a finance major. Uh, so now by this time I'm I'm like a junior senior in college. I'm taking all of my accounting courses in the summer. Like I, I graduated on time, but it's because I, I just kept going to summer school. I took extra classes because um, I wanted to graduate on time. And, and I, you know, we were talking to the kids about this yesterday. Um, you know, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, so it was very late in my college uh, career that I landed on a on a major in something that I graduated in. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I finished my accounting degree and, and I started working, um, I graduated in 2007. Um, I got a job, uh, because Western State is really good about like connecting their accounting students with, um, with employers and, and people, you know, they do like a whole career fair thing. And, you know, so I've participated in that. And you know, I was able to secure a job, like in accounting, making pretty good money, like before I even graduated. So you know, so I did that, and um, um, and, and again, here's where some more trouble comes. So you know, I moved to Galax, Virginia, which is a couple of hours away from here. Small town is like one stoplight in Galax, Uh and and so I'm working for this firm, um, Elliot Davis, I don't think they're in business anymore, but um, about six months after, like, that's when all of the heat started coming. So, around this time, about six months after that, uh, I'm now I'm dealing with, I'm no longer with my son's mom, and she's moved back to California, And and so now I'm in court trying to, like, Keep visitation of my son, who's currently in West Virginia, but then his mom is about to move to California. So I'm dealing with that. And also this company just laid me off out of nowhere. They just, they just laid me off um, after six months of employment. Um, In fact, the one of the partners sat me down and uh, and said, told me I was nothing special. Um, You're not really doing much here and just, like, broke my whole little spirit, (laughs) and I'm just like, yeah, so, so anyway, so, like, that happened, and, and so, but again, you know, I, I just, I took it as, like, you know, I was disappointed by that, but at the same time, I really needed to get back to Charleston, because that's where my, um, that's where my uh, custody proceedings were. And I wanted to and I wanted to really be a part of that. So, you know, but again, because accounting is a, is a really strong degree. It wasn't long before I was working again, you know, so I was. Um, uh, so right after that, I was I was working at Settle and Soniker, who hired me maybe a, a few months, a couple of months after I moved, had moved back to Charleston um, and I worked there for four years. You know, I, I worked at uh, Settle and Soniker uh, for four years. It's a great company, um, and uh, but I also had I also had trouble there. You know, they, they called me they called me trouble. Um, but you know, one of the issues I I had there was uh, uh for one, you know, every conference I went to, every training I went to. Um, I never felt like, I never felt like I was accepted, right? Like it, I always felt like I was the other, or, you know, there was really nobody that looked like me, um, in, in any of the spaces, uh, uh, that I was in. And also too, I mean, we're, we're talking about career trajectory and, and changing. So, you know there and again this is i'm early in my career and i'm also a new father and all this stuff and trying to deal with that with with my son two thousand plus miles away in california so i was uh while i made good money it was still difficult to travel back and forth to california uh to exercise visitation uh, by this time you know i'm married by now um, I had, we had another small child, so, I, so, you know, I have to deal with my home life here. Um, uh, so I went to, uh, Settle and Soniker had a policy, um, they had a policy for if you had to, if you had to get a second employment or a second job, you had to clear it through the partners, right? Which is cool, you know, I followed the rules, I went to the partners and said, hey, I, I found this part-time job um you know it's a night auditor at a hotel um you know i really need to i really need this additional income because i got this kid trying to you and they knew him too i would bring him to the office whenever i had him in the summer and all of this stuff and i was like I, i just want to see him more right so i need more but you guys are paying me fine it's just you know it's not enough so um so they told me um I hear that that's commendable, but you can make more money here. Um, if you, like uh, I could have renegotiated my contract, I could put in more hours that I was expected to bill. And then six months or so down the line, they would evaluate it and see if they could raise my salary. And I said, well, I hear that, but I don't, got six months, I wanna see my kid like next month, <laughs> right? Like and so this is the solution for me is to take the second employment. So they told me no. And so, you know, that also broke my spirits a little bit. I'm 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 sitting here trying to figure out how to do this stuff the right way. Um and you know, they, they told me no. And so I'm like, man, so what do I do? So for a few months after that I was uh I I was uh a little upset about that. Um but you know, like my typical nature, I just started trying to think of other ways, like trying to figure it out. So I'm playing softball one day, and uh one of my coworkers has a friend who works at the airport at, at a Jaeger airport, and he starts talking about all these free flights that he gets for working at the airport and how what he does and all of this stuff, and the whole time, I'm thinking, well, I can't go to the partners with this, they're going to tell me no, just like, it. so I did it under the table, you know, I, um and, you know, I, I went to this other, this mutual friend, and had him help me set up an interview at the airport, so I did that, and I, and I was working there for two years, I was doing both jobs, I was accounting that day, CPA, or oh, well, not CPA yet, I hadn't even got that far, <laughs> I was, uh, You know, I was working at this accounting firm uh, uh, for the last two years of my employment. Uh, I was at the accounting firm for four years, but the last two years I worked both jobs. You know, uh, I worked as a baggage handler at Yeager. And so sometimes I would see the partners come through the airport. But you know, I would have I was a baggage handler, so I was normally under the plane or outside on the tarmac. So I would keep my hat on and some glasses on and just like kind of and sometimes I would be at the gate and I would see them and I would just keep my head down and you know like hoping that this is past knowing I'm doing something wrong right but also feeling that pool be like like what's best for me and what's best for my family and you know like how do I manage that and so I did it for two years and it wasn't until um I had some I had some trouble i i think a uh another coworker or something had an issue with me um because uh had had some sort of random issue with me, and somehow it came up that mavery's also working at the airport <laughs> and you know I had no bad performance reviews up until that point none i you know i had had just had a good performance review um in fact one of my one of my managers at the time uh, came to me and said i don't know what's going on but they are really being in your performance review and like I, I i don't like i don't support that <laughs> you know and so i was and so now i'm kind of in conflict with this really good employer and what i gotta do for my personal life And it just kind of came down to what I just said. You know, I I told the partners at the time, I said, look, you do what's best for you and your company, and I'll do what's best for me and my family. Um, You know, the people that work with me seem to not have an issue with my performance, um, but yet I'm getting this bad performance. Because we did peer reviews, right? So the people who you worked with would provide the core feedback for the work that you were doing. And the overall evaluation that I got, in my opinion, didn't match with what people with people who worked directly with me were saying, so I'm like there's something else going on here. Maybe y'all just don't want y'all mad that i maybe they were upset, maybe rightfully so, that you know I went against policy and took another job, but you know that was that was one of the challenges that I had, and so eventually uh you know, we just severed that relationship mutually. It was, you know, no big deal. I went my way, they went their way. Um, and that's what took me to uh, uh, working at the, I, I spent some time at the West Virginia legislature working in the, uh, the post audit division. Um, and so, so you at this time-
0: then, Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. So you went from the legislature to, what came
1: next after that? well, I went from Sutherland Sonaer to the legislature mm-hmm. and then to,
0: private
1: um, practice and then from from the legislature, I went to um to the auditor's office, and I worked on the um the big Oasis project to implement the state's accounting system
0: okay
1: so this is this is uh, and, and and so around this time, you know, this is where I'm really try struggling fig, trying to determine like, what am I even doing as an accountant? Like, I I didn't feel like um, it was the right space for me. I didn't feel like I was advancing. I didn't feel like I was uh, being appreciated, you know, all kinds of things. And so, in post audit, you know, at the legislature, uh, it, it was it was the same thing. Very quickly, I started. though I was the only again uh, African. Uh, well, no, there there was a, a, another African American uh, uh, CPA there that that actually one of my inspirations, uh, William Spencer. Uh, William Spencer uh, really went to bat for me at the legislature. Um, You know, he he was a manager of mine, but I had difficulty there too. You know, for whatever reason, people just uh, didn't like the way I worked or uh, I don't don't know what it was uh, about me, but you know, they they started, uh, people started doing some really shady stuff, like telling the managers I wasn't working because they didn't see my screen moving, but they never stopped to ask me like what I was doing or how the tests were set up and all of this stuff. So I would find myself in the director's office defending nothing really, um, you know, able to like defend myself and, you know, just basically do something I felt like, why is this even necessary? Like, you know, I I do my work, you can see the results, you know, Um, but anyway, like, so that started rubbing me the wrong way. And I was like, after the four years, you know, at the other place, I was like, I'm not about to be dealing with this anymore. So I started looking for something else. And that's what led me to the auditor's office. So um actually at the auditor's office, I took a job that was, I didn't even need a high school diploma to do it. Um I, But I kept coming back applying for that position. And as in Glenn Gaynor, the auditor at the time, he stopped me and he says, maybe like, you're too overqualified for this position. What are you like, what are you doing? Um, I'm like, I need to find a home. I need to go somewhere where I'm accepted, where I can grow. Um, and right now, like, I'm just trying to get out of that space. And hope and the auditor's office has a lot of opportunities here. So I so he says, he says, look, we got uh this project coming up in a couple of years. Uh we're gonna need somebody with your skill set, but it's not coming up for a while, right? He say, "Will he say, will you take this position uh, and just be ready whenever like this?" And he didn't even tell me the name of the project. It happened to be the Oasis project. And so at that time, I said, "Yeah." I was like, "Do you guys help?" And now I'm thinking about like getting my CPA license, not for anybody else, just for myself. Um, and so I I took that job. It, it was. It was lonely, it wasn't a heavy lift for me. And I kind of used that time there, it was about two years. I uh, I used that time to study and, um, and, and uh, pass the CPA exam. Um, and I also went back to school and got my master's degree at the same, at, during that same two year period, uh, because, you know, the, the job was a lot slower. You know, I could think a little bit more, and management there, you know, Glenn Gaynor, they saw something in me that I, maybe I didn't even see, right? And they were just like, we just want you around for when, when we really, really need to. Until then, just do the best you can. And they helped me with my education, which, you know, I appreciate. Um, so I end up getting my CPA license. Um, I end up getting my master's degree. And now I'm working on this um oasis project which was really cool um and so we helped to implement the tax piece of uh, the tax side of that so the state went from most hundreds of agencies reporting individually to different uh uh taxing authorities whether they're state or federal government um and so through oasis we condensed that into one reporting mechanism so now the state reports under one ein number Um, so I worked on that project, but that was what led me to, um, led me to, uh, I got a call one day sitting at my desk at, at Oasis, you know, an Oasis project from the West Virginia department of veterans assistance. And they say, Hey, we're looking for, uh, they say, Hey, we're looking for, uh, somebody to be our director of finance. And we know you're a CPA and we we really want you to work for us i'm like or i said i never applied for this position i didn't even know it was posted well they found they 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 found me at a political rally (laughs) i was literally at a political rally so i'm at i'm at a bernie sanders rally um And I'm like, I volunteered because this is also around the time I really started to like, I want to get more politically active and all that stuff. So during Bernie Sanders' campaign, I volunteered to like direct the crowd into a stadium in Huntington. And so I'm out there and there's a guy heckling the crowd about taxes and different things. And I'm sitting there in front of them, keeping the line going but also listening to this guy about, about whatever he said about taxes. So I just start ripping into him and like going back and forth with them, but also keeping the line moving, keeping people going into the event. Because what these hecklers normally do is they, they stop and they they crowd up the line and then like the event that's going on, people don't get to it, right? So I was just like, let me just... Occupy this guy and keep the line going. But standing behind me was the cabinet secretary of uh, the Department of Veterans Assistance, and I didn't know I was applying for a job. That's what I'm saying. You never know who's watching you. (laughs) You never know.
0: Yep. So now uh, you're you're the director of lending for um, New Economy Works. Talk some about
1: yes. So, New Economy Works West Virginia. Um, we are a lending agency uh, uh, specifically uh, devoted to financing cooperative businesses. So we identify, support, um, and, and finance them. And so we're a part of a, of a of a more extensive regional and national network that helps supply resources and guidance to our organization. And as a local ambassador of SEED Commons, um, we work according to uh, five principles, right? Which are building cooperative, uh, building cooperative democratic ownership within communities, uh, productive sustainability, uh, maximizing community benefit, uh, radical inclusion and the one, uh, that I uh value the most is uh non-extraction so you know that that's what we do there we're, we're, we're focused on minority communities and, and providing them access to uh business capital and technical assistance
0: so what because kind of back up and define what is a cooperative business for those who may not know
1: oh yes this is <laughs> this is a question we always get um, so before before i go into what is a cooperative i just want to make it clear that a cooperative can be any business in any industry right but um cooperatives operate under seven core principles uh which are one voluntary and open membership uh two democratic member control three is member economic participation Four is autonomy and independence. Five is education, training, and information. Um, six is cooperation among cooperatives. And seven is uh, concern for community. No matter how your business is legally formed, um, legally formed, uh, you can, it can still function as a cooperative as long as it, it follows those uh, seven principles.
0: Okay, so um how has business been in West Virginia with with you know with lending and and those efforts?
1: well, the um, the the lending that we do in West virginia is 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 very slow um, because of the way that we work with uh, uh, with the projects that we work with um it's uh, we work uh with a very high touch uh uh process right so um and and it's not like a check the box type of thing so so we really focus on building up the people and the business uh, along the way so currently we have uh we have only uh one active uh project right now but um and that's fat daddy's on the tracks if you haven't had it is it's some great food over there um but i mean i just read an article of yours right that that talked about uh how uh minority businesses traditionally you know lack access to capital or lack access to financing or banking yeah yeah there's lots of barriers right so um and uh, in your article, you cited how businesses under 500 in revenues, uh, they they are especially, <laughs> like, locked out of that process, right? They're not going to get financed. Well, through the way that we went, went and through our network, we were able to, to secure Fat Daddy's uh, six figures in startup financing. You know this is right out the gate. they don't even have a track record of sales yet mm-hmm. right but that's um, but that's uh that's that's how we are able to um basically be that's how we're able to address that uh um, that what you see in, in 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 normal financing uh pathways right we're we're able to uh, address that because we work very closely with the business, uh, with the business owners, help them develop a business plan, help them come up with financial projections, and really identify what amount does this business need to just get started, right? Because that's the phase that they're in. Now we do work, we will, and we do work with with projects that are at various different stages. You could be a startup, you could be uh, a, a conversion. You know, you don't you don't have to. Uh, we work with folks wherever they are, right? And we help them grow into cooperatives. But with Fat Daddy, you know, that really highlighted because they at the time we we began working with them, they were going to banks trying to finance this idea. They were. Applying to the city for um for those ten thousand dollar business grants, you know they were denied three times you know and the day that they were denied, we were able to secure them um, six six figures in financing you know um, and and then another important thing is we don't just leave uh the organization or or stop supporting them once they're financed. Right. We we continue working with them through the through the whole process of figuring out their marketing, figuring out their internal operations, uh, giving them access to uh, other grants and things that will reduce uh, reduce the uh, the liability over time. Right. Um, And our financing, uh, I said earlier, non-extractive. So What non-extractive means is we only take payback from new revenues and profits generated uh, as a result of the financing we give. So we're not coming after any assets that already exist in the business, uh, anybody's personal assets. Any collateral, if any, would be uh, collateralized by by items or equipment and stuff that we bought with the money, uh, with whatever financing we provided, right? So, so the okay. fact that you with, your
0: money, where does where does New Economy Works, the national organization, where do you get your funding?
1: Tea <laughs> Commons. <laughs> so. Um, but that's that's just the thing, right? So C Commons um primarily so uh, primarily C commons is a bit it provides business capital, right? So we have forty plus million um in business capital that's strictly for business capital nationwide. And here in Charleston we have access to that as well, but they uh C commons also raises uh additional funding that it provides to the locally rooted loan funds such as new west virginia and there's 27 different locally rooted loan funds throughout the country but here in charleston so um so they so they provide an allocation to uh to to fund my work and and working uh in charleston and we don't and we don't charge anything to the, to the people that we work with. Right. So we have, so my task is finding, uh, uh, other local sources of financing, um, to support, uh, to support like my work and other project officers, uh, that will go out into Charleston and find and, and help and build and finance, um, cooperatives. So that's something I'm working on right now, but, C e. Commons understands that, you know, this uh this work is important. So uh as the funds are available, uh C e. Commons kind of works with us on a year to year basis to see where we're at. And if we need financing to continue funding my work, then they provide that. Um so I we're not going anywhere <laughs> you know, if that's what you're asking, but but we are uh actively looking for ways to support this work here locally um so that more of the resources for seed commons can go into the business capital which is the main which is the main problem right is getting these uh minority and marginalized uh uh people in marginalized community access to big bank financing that we know that they're locked out of we like we look at all the statistics we know that People like fat daddies are locked out of that type of financing.
0: Okay, good, good, good. You also have an interest in financial education of youth. So is that yes. your, your community service? What What inspired you to start um, working with youth on uh, financial education?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad you asked that question. So, um, so my inspiration for that. Uh, to be completely honest, uh, was and still is uh, the state of my own personal finances, right? So as I looked back over my wants and needs uh, for myself and for my family, um, I realized that what I was doing at work as an accountant, creating budgets, setting goals, uh, tracking against uh, what we said we would spend, and what we actually spent, uh, uh setting money. And so I wasn't doing, doing that stuff at home in my personal life. So it was after years of being exposed to this stuff during college, graduate school, professional certification, that it hit me. Like I was never taught how to do this stuff and the implications of not doing it at a young age. I just wasn't um and it was at that point that i decided um i knew enough to start teaching our youth in middle and high school um uh about personal finances and so you know i i started i started the financial literacy boot camp um really just to try and give back i felt like i had all of this knowledge that um, I was finally starting to do something with for myself, and I was starting to see results for myself. And, and and I thought like the main reason that it's taking me so long is because nobody got to me earlier. And I thought like let me do let me do what I can do today and teach somebody um, that's coming up uh, um, something that I know will help them because because I know of how it's helping me like right now.
0: All right, awesome. So let's kind of jump to leadership. Some what what are your you're clearly a community leader. Um, what what are some of the skills, attitudes, and behaviors you had to learn or adopt to be the leader you are today?
1: Ooh, that's man, you you ask some tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> but you know those. Um, I would say I, I'm still learning those things. Um, but uh you know i I would say some of the skills um that i had that I have to learn are are just uh being a good like being a good listener you know i naturally I like kind of talk a lot um and so while that has gotten me into um a lot of spaces um i've also over the years. And over my time uh, trying to do the work that I do, realize that you know it's important to, to get my messages out. But if I'm going to be a leader, it's even more important for me to listen to others and and to take what others are saying and tie that to what I'm trying to teach, um, and, and to 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 make you know to connect what I know uh uh to actual needs that people have instead of just trying to give people things. So, you know, uh good listening, um man, time management skills. <laughs> That's another one. Yeah. I'm still working on that. Um you know um, one of my natural you know, I'm naturally inclined to just try to help people or to try to jump in on things that somebody um request um and you know and it, it's with good intention but over over, the, over my time doing the work that i do it, that's also got me in a lot of trouble right and um it has highlighted some of the things that i i never really paid attention to or didn't uh, or wish i would have learned earlier in that time management and setting proper boundaries right Okay. So you know that those those are, I would think, the, the two main things um, uh, that I would say the the skills uh, that I've learned, um, and I, I think are important um, if you're if if anybody wants to be a leader.
0: Okay, okay. Um. So just kind of wrap uh, thinking about uh, as you reflect on your career. Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started?
1: Hmm. What do I know now that I wish I knew when I first started? <laughs> well, I know now that uh, entrepreneurship and um, sort of building things uh, is going to be is, is going to be difficult and and it's it's gonna push you um to uh to places that uh you probably never uh never thought you would be so uh, so what i uh what i know now that i that i wish I had have known sooner is is just like to be more patient <laughs> uh, you know i think i've uh I've gotten myself some opportunities by maybe being pushy, but uh, or, you know, just being kind of gung ho about things. But had I had more of an element of patience, which I feel like I have uh, more patience these days, uh, probably because some of the, the, uh, the letdown that I've had by pushing for like these big really big dreams and then them not happening, and it's sending me into like sort of a tailspin or something like that. Um, you know, had I just been more patient, you know maybe things would have went differently or maybe I would have made better decisions um so so these days i' I'm, I'm trying to 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 really practice my patience and, and make sure I really understand. My purpose and what i'm doing and, and the purpose and the intentions of what others are doing um, and and just not rushing things and and uh just being really reflective and patient about about the information that I'm bringing in and that I'm putting out into the community
0: mhm that's, that's good that's good so uh, um, as you look to the future you're in, you're in a, a sector where the racial wealth gap I'm sure you are very aware and, and you see it in your work every day. So given that and um, everything that we're going through as that veil of, of um, systemic racism is being lifted, in spite of all that, what gives you hope? What makes you get up every day and continue to do the work that you're doing um, with getting financing to minority businesses, with working with students and and, educating them financially, what gives you hope in spite of everything?
1: What gives me hope is the people uh, that I get to connect with every day. Mm -hmm. You know, just yesterday we we spoke with 200 plus uh, high school students um, over, you know, the whole day, you know, every period, you know, we had a different group and we had, um, not only were the students engaged about the information that they were getting, people's life stories and uh, their um, explanations of struggles and and over and perseverance and overcoming that stuff. Um, the students paid really close attention to that and they were really receptive to it. And it seemed to help them. But also, just seeing all of the people, all of the community leaders that came out to, to spend time with these kids, to, to not take it as uh, something that was for granted, you know? Um, it, I really got the sense that people um, felt like it was really important to share their stories and share their struggles. Um, to, to help the next person, you know, and that gave me a lot of hope, you know, and I was also inspired by some of the people that, like, I didn't even know they had gone through so much and, like, they're still here, you know, and so just really helped me to put things in perspective. I think, uh, and I think Charleston has this community that is so supportive of, of so many things and and we have a chance um here in charleston to to really take things in a different direction because we're because we're so close you know we're so close in proximity to each other and we're able to give that support um uh to our neighbors and and like really help the next person thrive so you know people uh people in general just kind of give me hope just uh every day I'm out there you know I see I see it every day somebody does something good for somebody else and that gives me uh hope that like the work that I'm doing is going to help the next young person figure out personal finances sooner than I did is going to help the next um black owned business overcome the challenges that I have with starting my own businesses and and you know that I that we're going to be able to um, provide a level of financing that that is available today that that wasn't available yesterday so, like, I see, I see it every day, and it just inspires me to like get up and and keep figuring this stuff out because awesome. you know I don't know the answer. I just just try to figure it out every day.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That that's the beauty of Charleston. Being in a small place like Charleston, I think people care, and people um, you, you can help. You can make an impact. It, it's harder, like in a, yeah, like in an LA or or. or um, or Brooklyn or something like that, but here in small Charleston, I think we can make a great impact. Um, thanks yes. so much, Avery. Avery. Thanks so much, Mavery. <laughs> I hey. appreciate, appreciate your time and I'll see you out there somewhere in, in the in Charleston. <laughs> yes, America. we will
1: definitely uh, see each other. I appreciate the, uh, the time. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm humbled i'm honored to be talking to you um and i'm going to keep watching the work that you do um and do my best to participate and so only thing i say to people is you know keep on paying attention uh to all of the good work out there uh because if you need something definitely here in Charleston, somebody can help you absolutely
0: <laughs> so. all righty take care all right, talk to you later, Dr. Fauci.